Welcome to the Love Life Church podcast, and thank you for checking us out. We love God, love people, and love life, and we hope this message encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. I'm ready for the Word of God this morning. It's, um, it's a subject that is on a lot of people's minds, Christian and non-Christian. And it's something that it's been on a lot of people's minds for thousands of years. And I'm not kidding. Uh, The reason why we know about this is because it is in the scripture. And we see the message of the rapture in Thessalonians and Corinthians, different places where God shows us this, this, this event is going to take place. Now, the, the, the problem is, is, Back then in the day, in the Bible day, uh, they had a different understanding of what this all meant. And that's what the problem is today, because there's such a mix of understanding concerning this event. And my thoughts are, um, I, I, you know, I like to dumb things down as, as simple as easy as I can to, to be able to understand it. Um, I grasp the importance of Knowledge in the sense like this. You cannot understand calculus until you can add and subtract. I don't care how smart you are. If you can't do one plus one equals two, you're not going to understand trigonometry. So to get to the higher levels of mathematics, you have to master the basics. And so when I look at Scripture, I do the same thing. I want to master the basics. And what are the basics? They're the simplest form of understanding, right? Wouldn't you guys agree? The simplest form of understanding. You learn to read. It's see, spot, run. You're not reading paragraphs. You're not opening up books. Simplest understanding. To grasp this whole truth of this new birth, which people call the Christian faith. We call it followers of Jesus. Same thing, whatever. But the point is, is the number one thing you must grasp is God loves you. You can't get that foundation. All these other, you know, how can I learn the 10 steps of heavenly prayer? How can I operate in the, the faith that moves mountains? and you still think God doesn't like you, you're not going to get anywhere because you have to get the foundational basics. So the key is, is what is this rapture? What's the purpose of it? And until you can answer that, you're going to be all over the place. And that's what I like to do is I like to find out why, how come? And God doesn't have a problem with this. He likes to answer questions. And this is what we have to do is we have to recognize that when we want to have a sure foundation or security in information, we have to know these basics. We have to understand it. Because I can tell you right now, I've been in the ministry 35 years, and, and I've been teaching this stuff for a long time. And I can tell you right now, when you start talking about end times, people, Christians, get scared. Get scared. Teens really get scared. They do. And I understand it completely. I understand because of how things are taught and why things are taught. 
And I believe how things are taught are usually tied to why they're taught. Usually when it has to do with a preacher, someone up front, they're trying to get people motivated or to get to a place of quit being the way you are. It's time to get better. So usually the natural way of doing that is, is threaten you. And that's what religion and people have doing for thousands of years. Motivation by threatening. And if you think that's just church-related, I don't think you grew up on this earth. Because that's how most, if not in general, majority of every parent on this planet operates in that manner. And that's not God's way. And God has given us a beautiful view of raising children that incorporate discipline, spankings, but in God's love way, not our I'm getting back at you way. But again, it's, a, it, it, it's an action that people take into their own viewpoint, opinions, and it gets away from God's. Because everything about God is tied to love. Everything about God is, is tied to growing and maturing. And that's so important to understand. So even in discipline, it's completely tied to love and growth. Well, I can tell you right now, most parents don't discipline for those two causes. It's usually payment for an act. I get it. I understand it. I've been there, done that. I lived that life. And most of you, not everybody in here, has lived that life where it was a payment for an act. So we attribute that to God. We just automatically assume we do it that way. That's the way God does it. Why? Because everything in our lives is tied to how we were raised, our belief system. And through that belief system, we sift through understanding. That's how God gets a bad rap. That's why Jesus came on this earth and said, let me show you the Father. Even religion, even Christians don't get it. Because when they see Jesus, they see Jesus, but they don't see God. How do I know this? Because, again, I'm not a noob at this. I've listened. I've seen Christians for years have a fear of God, but not Jesus. Why? Because they don't know Jesus. Oh, I said that. You don't know him. Because if you knew him, remember that question with Thomas? Show us the Father. Jesus said, dude, you don't even know who I am. You don't know. You don't even know what's been going on for three and a half years. Because he who sees me sees the Father. That's what Jesus said. So Jesus came to not only fulfill God's will, but to reflect the Father. How awesome is that? I don't know about you, but I'm not even teaching rapture, and I'm already loving this message. This is good stuff. So what I want you all to do, I want everybody to understand that the, the reason why we get so scared on these things is because we think we're going to lose something or something isn't available to us. Now, don't feel you're wrong in that attitude because that's why we have the first book of Thessalonians. They were freaking out. They're like, it's already happened. Why? Because people are people were saying it was. They wrote letters, you know, trying to say, hey, this has already happened. Jesus is already, you know, the second advent has come. He's come. And they're all freaking out like, oh, no, it's, it's already done. So they quit working. They quit living life. 
And Paul has to write back to him and say, hey, guys, come on. Get engaged with life. And I'm telling you right now, this happens all the time when it comes to end times. People think, well, might as well not do anything. Might as well chill now. Or why even hope for a future? Or why even engage in life? And this is so sad because this is not at all what Scripture requires us to do. We're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. You don't stop that. You don't disengage from life. You still hope. You still dream. If you don't, your day is, your life in your day is messed up. You have to hope. You have to dream. This is a, this is a part of Scripture, a part of God's plan that he didn't write for us to freak out about. And Christians do. Again, bad teaching because of the purpose of the teaching. And people even still do it in the area of the rapture for the sake of straightening Christians out. If you don't become good, you won't go. Even manipulating scripture saying, well, that's not for all Christians. That's a lie. The rapture is for every believer. Every believer. I'm going to tell you right now, fact. Once the rapture happens, there will not be one Christian on planet Earth for a few seconds. Because once that buddy of yours goes, and you were right there with them, I believe, I believe. <laughs> a few seconds. You, I mean, but one time, there can be no Christian. They're going to boom, gone. Just know that. It's going to happen. Now, when? I don't know. It, they, like I said, 2,000 ago, they thought, 2,000 years ago, they thought then. It's going to happen soon. 2,000 years have passed. What if it's another 2,000 years? Are you going to start freaking out now? Because think of what's going to happen for your life. You're going to have to have a letter written to you. Dear John. You need to start working. If you don't work, you can't pay your bills, you can't eat, and all you do is go around begging everybody, begging people to pay for your bills, begging people. No, you live life, amen? Everybody say live life. All right. So the rapture, in essence, is, is uh, first of all, the term rapture isn't even in the Bible. We use the term. It comes from a, it comes from a Latin word, uh, and, and please understand this. That's no big deal just because it were used. How many have heard the message of the prodigal son? The prodigal isn't even the Bible. It's a term we use. How many have a Bible? The Bible isn't even in the Bible. You see what I'm saying? So don't get all wound up about the word rapture. You want to call it the, the taking up or the catching away or I'm out of here one day or whatever. It really doesn't matter, to be honest with you, because it's in reference to something that, that'll happen. When? We don't know. We don't know. And I'm not here to try to sell you on it's real soon. Though I believe it'll happen next week. The point is, is this isn't the way we're supposed to live our lives. We're supposed to live our lives according to what the plan of Jesus was, and that is, let's get busy showing him and his kingdom to this world. And think about it this way. 
instead of freaking out and worrying when things get bad, we should be shining brighter and getting saltier. And I'm talking about good salt. I'm talking about video game salt. Getting aggressive. Let's win this game. Not the salt that's a little sprinkled and running around going, <laughs> little fairy dust. No, I'm saying time to get salty. Christians need to get aggressive. The Bible never said we're supposed to be wimps. It said, be wise, gentle. Wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove. Well, it didn't say we're all doves. It didn't say we're all serpents. It didn't. So what we have to do is recognize our responsibility to the truth, not people's opinions. Let's let the word of God show us. My first question years and years and years ago was, why is there a rapture? Because what I'm hearing is this rapture takes place and then tribulation, right? And then there are some people that say the rapture takes place amid tribulation. Tribulation is that seven-year period of freakiness, right? Or after the tribulation, post-tribulation, they call it. And then there's the pre-wrath tribulation. I mean, it's crazy about all the different doctrines, and denomination beliefs. But they believe in a rapture. They just don't know where to put it. Well, I would think that you'd have to find out why you have a rapture. Even understand where this thing goes or why it's coming. And once you do that, everything starts chilling in your life. You start realizing, oh, I get it now. Because I can tell you right now, most of your friends, most of your Christian friends, you talk about rapture, no one knows nothing. They're all freaked out about it and confused and scared. And, and, and you go on Google, and that's always the best place to go. Not over 500,000 different uh, 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 informational points on pre-tribulation rapture. Uh, mid-tribulation, not rapture. It's like almost 400,000. Post-tribulation rapture, 500,000. Rapture, 13 million plus. I mean, it's just crazy. So what is it that we're supposed to be doing? Well, first and foremost, live life. Number one, live life. You don't stop living life. I don't even care if we knew that the rapture is tomorrow. You, you live life. You live life. And never forget that. Live life. But let's go to 1 Thessalonians 4.13. And this is going to be the, 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 the letter that Paul wrote to this church that was freaking out. Let me ask you something. In life, when you're looking at information, there are two important keys or two important things you need to understand about information. And those two important things that it tied to information is knowledge and maturity. Knowledge and maturity. Those are two things I always look at. And I I try to help leaders that are, that are growing and maturing in the leadership. It, it's When you start working in church or being a part of a leadership in church, you start realizing how crazy people are and how they're scary and freaky sometimes and how you can give your life and, and the next week they want to kill you and you're like going, what is this ministry thing? I don't like it. It's scary. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I say that all the time. But the thing is, is... I try to get people to understand that everybody is at different levels in life, period. Everybody. So there's no, there's no same answer that works for everybody. 
Some people are going to be crazy. Some people are not. Amen? It's just the way we are. We can be awesome Christians today, and next Sunday, you can be the devil. Just, it's just the way it is. You had a rough week all week. You, you got in a fight all the way here. And all of a sudden, you're not usually leaning on your seat, and you're like going, oh, this is good. And this Sunday, you're like going, that. Well, people are like this. But when it comes to like, I'm, I'm thinking about when I started teaching this stuff in youth ministry, and I'm telling you, it just would be, it, they, I own those kids. Because if I felt like, you know what, your Christian walk sucks, I'm going to get you all saved again. I'd just teach 10 times. They'd all be up here crying, shaking. <laughs> and they'd all be there, and I'd feel good about myself. All right, that's good. That was when I didn't know anything. I, was, I, I knew it for a purpose of scaring tactic. See, I know the Bible now. I know the Scripture. And I know what it teaches, and I understand it in these areas. And it, <laughs> let's, let's read this real quick. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers and sisters. What does that mean? They were ignorant, right? They were ignorant. Turn your neighbor and say, I think he's talking to you right now. All right, turn your neighbors. Yeah, exactly. He goes, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep. In other words, they were dealing with my, my Christian mom, my Christian wife, my Christian son, my Christian husband. They're, they died. What about them? So they're freaking out because they're thinking it's happened. And what about those that are dead? And they just don't know what to do. And this is what's happening. This gets to Paul, and Paul goes, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll set you straight. And he says, don't worry or concern yourselves about those who have died because you're going to sorrow as others that have no hope. Others that don't have Jesus, they look at dead, and it's, that's it, it's over with, it's gone. Believers don't see it the same way at all. According to Scripture, absent from the body is present with the Lord. So you die as a child of God, you go straight to heaven. Now, your body isn't transformed yet. That's going to all take place. That's when the whole church, the whole body is then operating as in, just like Jesus was seen, where you could see his nail, his nail prints, and he had a body because he could also eat. So it wasn't like, you know, this visible like body and you see him eating fish and you can watch a fish go down his, it wasn't like that. It was a body, but it was also a body he could walk through a wall. Yo, I can't wait. This is going to be awesome. It's going to be totally awesome. But anyway, it's going to be, you ever thought, I wish I could fly. Oh my gosh. Anyway, moving right along. So this thing right here is saying, don't be that way. Those people don't have hope. He said, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring him with him, those who sleep in Jesus. They call it sleeping in Jesus instead of dead. All right? Because eternal life, there is no death. Just so you know that. All right? For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. So he's saying, listen, ultimately this is how it works. In this picture, which is not the second coming 
because Jesus doesn't come to the earth. He meets us in the air. All you have to do is pay attention to context and read the scripture. Don't add to it. Don't take away. He's going to meet us in the air, and he never says, and then, well, come down. No, that's later. But he says, we'll meet him in the air. So it's not a coming yet. It's up there. That's later. All right? And by the way, oh, this is a whole different teaching. I shouldn't even make this up. Right. The rapture is a mystery. The church is a mystery. The filling of the Holy Spirit is a mystery. These are mysteries that the Old Testament had nothing about, knew nothing about it. Nothing. There's no instruction on the mystery. The angels didn't even know about it. The devil didn't even know about it. When Jesus went to the cross, death rose again, and at the book of Acts, and it talks about Jesus said, go wait. Wait in Jerusalem until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. No one even knew what that was. And when that happened, angels, devil, everybody's going, what is that? What is going on? They didn't have a clue. It was a mystery. The church age was a mystery. It wasn't talked about in the Old Testament. It was a mystery. So anything you read about in the Old Testament has to do with what? Not the church age. There are a whole lot of people out there. They just love to live the Old Testament life instead of the new covenant. That's why they get into all the weird doctrines and the, and the, you know, yeah, you're saved by grace, but to keep your salvation, you have to be perfect. You can't sin. You can't do the same sin over and over. You won't. Listen, I know those pastors that do that. I know their personal lives. They do sin over and over and over, but they never say they're lost. Only to those people they can look at to manipulate. I know some big guys that are that way. Manipulation through fear and intimidation. And I know their families, and I know they have sin in the house, and their lives are messed up, but they don't preach that when it comes home. Yeah, they're all perfect. It's only other people. They judge you differently than they judge their own house. And it's disgusting. Disgusting. But that's religion. And that's how people manipulate the masses. Fear and intimidation. That's how the religious Pharisees and scribes intimidated people. Rules, regulations, laws. They didn't use it for them, did they? Talking to some people out there. Let's keep, let's go at this. For the Lord, verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore scare one another with these words. Oh wait, they didn't say that. Comfort. Oh my bad. Comfort one another with the, well, you'd think people would see comfort, but they use it to scare. Or when you're reading the scripture, you're getting scared. Why is that? Lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge. Remember, I said knowledge and maturity are necessary. Knowledge and maturity. 
Well, why is it that way? Well, look at your children. Look at kids. Is there a lot of knowledge that they need? Yeah. But maturity, de deter de maturity determines when they're able to receive that knowledge. Is it true knowledge? Yeah. Is it important knowledge? Completely. Is it knowledge that even can be life and death? Of course it is. Then why can't we tell? Maturity. Try teaching a three-year-old to look both ways across the road. Try that with a two-year-old. Is it, is, it, is it important? Try talking to a two-year-old. They're just starting to walk. Now take them to the street and teach them to look both ways before crossing. I guarantee you it ain't going to work. Is it important knowledge? Is it life-saving knowledge? Exactly. But they can't receive that yet. So what do they need? A hand. Are you guys hearing me? See, some people just need a hand. Some Christians need a hand. I don't care how long you've been in church. Don't, don't pull the, I've been in church. Man, I've known people that talk that trash, and they know very little compared to some of my interns. Some of my, some Christians that have been here faithfully and just sucking this word up for a year. Some people have been here for 10, 15 years, don't know nothing. Why? Because that's what church people do. They settle into religious ideology, religious attitudes, and they stop learning, stop growing. They think, I've arrived. People ask, Pastor, how can you be so wild and crazy? And every Sunday, it's like this is like new and everything. Because it is for me. You can't listen. I've been this way forever. In church, as a pastor, I've been this way with every message, everything I do in, in, in regards to delivering and ministering this life-giving word. And it's powerful, and it, it just... I'm, I'm emotional with it. I, I can't, I, you think I could play that game and fake it? I am not that good. There's no way I'd screw up some, one time or one month or at least a week where I come in and go, you know, this really sucks and I hate you all. <laughs> I don't really don't care about you. Go to hell, I don't care. Doesn't matter to me. Y'all suck and you, you're just a pain in the butt. But see, it, it don't work that way. Why? Because I believe in this thing. I already know what it is. I know how, how it, it's alive to me. And, and I, don't, I don't get it when I see Christians become that. I'm all that. You ain't all nothing. This is to be exciting every single time. Every single time you get around talking about this stuff, it should be like, yes! Anyway, let's move on. I'm taking a lot of time in that area. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Again. Comfort, not scare. People scare for the sake of denominational belief systems or their false belief systems on grace. It's always tied to grace. Understand this, when there's a war going on in, in the body of Christ as far as information, it's usually a grace issue. People have a problem with God's grace and how people act. It's, a, it's an issue to them. See, God can save you when you didn't even believe in him. You're filled with a sin nature, the worst place you can ever be, and all you did was operate that, and God can love you so much and die for you? 
But then once you're born again, now he's out to kick you out? Are you, see, this is, boom, it's so dumb. Every scripture tied to salvation is based upon grace. By grace, you are saved. Period. There is no other scriptures other than that on, on salvation. And then once you get saved, you get these groups. All of a sudden, it's the Pharisee mindset, manipulation, fear. To be able to sit there, you keep doing that, you will lose. You keep doing that, you won't go on the rapture. God's only going to take a perfect church. Perfect church. The only reason why we're perfect is because of Jesus' blood. Not because we did, we did our right thing, our right actions. Then we don't need Jesus. We can all do right. It doesn't work that way, people. It's the same people that rip on God heals or God uses sickness and disease. But when you get sick and disease, you run to the doctor. Why would you run to the doctor when you say it's the will of God? Why would you thwart the will of God? Why would you stop God's will when you preach sickness and disease is used by God's will? He's teaching you something. But you get it. You run to the hospital right away. Why would you do that? It's God's will. See, when you use common sense, what happens? People start going, dude, that's true. Why would they do that? Why do you preach that way? And I knew you were sick, and you ran to the doctor. Why don't you hold on to your maturity and let God teach you through that thing? Don't go to the doctor. See what I'm saying? Craziness. And there's a lot of crazy people out there that are trying to get you to believe this stuff. It's grace, people. Grace. Grace, grace, grace. Ultimately, this is what happens. People want to get their foot into God's position of judgment. So they want to figure out like this. I want to determine if you're saved or not. And they do it by, based upon what they believe you're doing or what they know you're doing. Either way, they want to establish, I'm the judge now of salvation. Like I said, I know a lot of pastors, small churches and mega churches. And I can tell you right now, a lot of them that I know that believe this way, sin, division, gossip, and they do it a lot. But they never say they lost their salvation. But if you sinned a lot, you lost salvation. They would never do that. And that's what disgusts me about this whole thing. Because this is what it's tied to. It's tied to this spiritual concept that's so false on grace that it's works that keep you saved. And that is ludicrous. That's crazy. It's the blood of Jesus that keeps you saved. And the only reason why you act like a fool after salvation is because you have not renewed your mind. You haven't renewed your mind. You haven't to take thoughts captive. You're hanging around dumb people. I mean, there's so many, so many different things that can cause you to act like you don't even believe in Jesus. But the key to understand this whole thing is the heart and the grace and the belief tied to and only God, hallelujah, only God is the judger in that area. So get off your judgment throne, loser. Oh, I, I, I hope a bunch of these pastors, some of the people take them through the show. Look what he said. Bring it on. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. 
gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Oh, by the way, John 3, 16, we all love that one. For God so loved the world that whosoever walks a perfect life and doesn't screw up shall be saved. No. Whoever calls Acts, whoever calls on the Lord shall be saved. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a simple person. I just tend to believe that when God's word talks about salvation concerning grace, that that's exactly what he meant. And then when he talks about the definition of grace in a beautiful picture where he says where sin abounds, grace can't because there's too much of it. No, it doesn't say that. It says where sin abounds, grace abounds beyond it. Why? Because sin can't overtake grace. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus. Well, what if they do this? What if they do what, Who cares what if? It's not you. You're not, you're not the place to judge someone in their salvation or not. There are people that go to church that aren't saved. Period. I've known people that go to church and aren't saved. Choice. They make a choice of not choosing Jesus. So that happens. There are people in religious groups, denominations, where they don't even teach Jesus any longer, but they're called Christian churches. They're not even saved, but it's the religious action that they're tied to. It's so sad, but that doesn't get them saved. No, by them receiving Jesus. Not receiving Jesus and being perfect, receiving Jesus, period. Can you imagine the blood of Jesus is not powerful enough that once you become born again, that it, it loses its ability to hold when everything in Scripture says, I will never leave or forsake you. It's my spirit that is alive with God, and he dwells in me. Well, according to what I know of Scripture, God can't do with sin. Tell me, pastor. Tell me, people. Tell me, any one of you, have you sinned since receiving Jesus? But where's God? Where's God? Is God still in you but going, oh, this is terrible. If you do it again, I'm out of here. That's how your doctrine sounds. No. It doesn't work that way. You're born with the seed of God. Well, why do people? It doesn't, doesn't matter why do people. Stop it. It doesn't matter. God's the judge of eternity. All you need to know is, have you received Jesus? You! Period. Worry about people. There are ugly people. I've known some demonic Christians. I'm not kidding you. I know, or I think they're Christians, but I'm not even going to get in that area. It, I, honestly, it doesn't, they're evil. Now, that's, that's where I lay it. Now, if I'm God... You thank God I'm not, because I'd kill all of you. Oh, that ain't the right doctrine. Anyone else want some of this? Thank God I'm not, amen? Why would I want to be? He's so awesome. So the rapture, when you have a lack of understanding, you, you lose sight of the purpose of it. Or you don't even know the purpose of it. And that's what I, again, that's, what I believe why most people are messed up in this area. So what is the purpose of the rapture? Why, why all of a sudden is God going to go out of here? Why, why not earlier? Why, why now? What, 
what is up with this? I mean, isn't that, anybody in there ask, anybody in here out there, you ask yourself that question, why is that? Why is he just going to take us then? It doesn't, you know, if you hear it from just hearsay and, and, and what people view or think or opinions, it, it gets you like, why? Um, why are we the special group? Why not the group 20 years ago or 50 years ago or 100 years ago? Why not those people? Actually, why not the ones 100 years ago? They didn't have internet and all this groofy, gross, you know, all this stuff out there. I mean, even there wasn't TV, there wasn't a bunch, there wasn't none of that stuff going on that we have today as far as if you're looking at the actions of, of what you would call just a sinful, immoral society. 100 years ago, come on, that would have been rapture time. Why not then? Why not then? See, I told you I can get weird. I think this way all the time. But it keeps me in a place where I can really grasp the importance of, of what I'm learning and what I'm growing to understand. Don't get lost in XYZs. Solid in ABCs. XYZs will come. ABCs are more important. And by doing that, I keep myself grounded. And so if there's a place where I don't understand, it's okay. The tendency and the nature of the flesh is, is we gotta, we gotta know it. So we wanna shortcut it, amen? We wanna shortcut the information. God doesn't want shortcuts. That's why I'm chill with a lot of people in their walk. You're gonna screw up. You're gonna blow. I try to tell my leaders, don't quit on people. Most people are dumb. And then I look at them and say, and you were really dumb. Because I was triple dumb. But the point is, is I kept going forward. I look through my journey. It isn't this perfect journey. But it's a journey that moved in a direction toward God. Oh, there were some hiccups. There's some trip ups. There's some stumbles. There's some, oh, I'm a little off track. But that doesn't matter. The heart has always led me in the right direction. That's all you have to do. Keep it moving forward. Amen? Let's listen to Dory. She knows. If you don't know what I'm talking about, have some kids. On swimming. Throwing that out there for you. All right. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold! I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be all changed. Who's going to be changed? All. Who's he talking to? One of the most carnal churches on planet Earth. But we won't talk about that because people don't want to hear that kind of stuff. They don't want to hear the Corinthian church was this crazy, fleshy, out-of-control church. They just want to talk about how they're so spiritual in their gifts or how this. No, you got to bring them all together. The word of God can't be chopped up. And what does he say? He uses the word all. We shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will raise incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. When was this written? Over 2,000 years ago. 
Think about being in that church reading this. Think about it. You, do you not think they probably have questions? What? What does that mean? What are you, I don't understand what you're talking about. This is a baby church. They don't have a Bible to turn to, by the way, just so you understand this. This is like about 20-some years after Jesus rose again. This is where, where letters, crazy letters are being sent around as if they're, they're literally from God, but they're not. Religious people are still trying to infiltrate churches and get them back to Judaism. I mean, this is going on. All in this new, brand new church, craziness has happened. Wild things are taking place. This is like the Wild West in the church. Serious. But they keep moving forward, keep pressing in. Why? How come? Because they had an ABC foundational understanding. God loves me. Jesus died for me. This is all about my new life because of him. With no Bible to read. They were able to overcome odds that you would look at and say, the church can't make it. It's impossible. They were being wiped out in some points of time. The church wiped out. And look at the church today. Because we have a foundation. Loyalty. Foundation of honor. Foundation of truth. Amen? That's that foundation. That's the saints before us. And they were able to make it, and so are you. But year after year, you've got to realize that at one point people start talking about this taking away, this gathering together. When's it going to come? Right? Exactly. Why is the rapture in the Bible? Why doesn't Jesus just come back and here we are together? What is going on? And this is the key. This is the key. So let's get into this thing. We're going to start in Daniel chapter 9. This is like the, the foundation of end times in this area right here, Daniel. This is the key that holds the information of why the rapture and to where you can go. When you get this information, you start going, gosh, this makes sense. Now I get it. Because what happens again is when you don't have the knowledge, don't have the information, you start filling in the dots. You get scared. And I want to be honest with you. When I was a young Christian hearing this stuff, it scared the heck out of me. You know what my problem was? It's the same problem. I was talking to my oldest son about this because, you know, he's looking at this going, I felt the same thing. But it's like going, wait a minute. I'm going to be cheated out on some part of this life that I'm looking forward to. I felt the same way. And the people before me felt the same. Everybody feels the same way. Why? Because we have a misrepresentation of this act. Nowhere does Scripture say that use this to get your life back in line. Well, wouldn't you think that would be a good place to put it? Wouldn't you think it'd be, this is where I sort of like, dumb down common sense, and I know God's smarter than me, and why people try to manipulate Scripture to say something it doesn't, when God is perfect. And if he really wanted us to believe that, I'm sure he would have wrote it right here, that this 
sound and this trumpet is only coming for those Christians that have been being good and have not been sinning and have not been doing bad things because when the trumpet sounds, whatever you're doing at that point, if it's a bad, you're not coming. And this is what they try to manipulate and tell people. Well, what if you felt sleeping in for the past week because you've been real tired? According to Scripture, that's a sin, sluggard. And if the rapture comes when you're sleeping in and it's 10 hours of sleep already, why do you think you should go? See how I bring it like so simple? But see, religion can't grasp this. They don't like to hear it that way because it can't control the people. I want you free. Man, I'd rather have you free than controlled. Controlled, y'all freaky. You're like caged animals. Free, you're like going, all right, that's cool. All right, we're living life. Amen? And we live life at love life, do we not? All right. Daniel chapter 9. Here we go. This is the whole beautiful thing of it, and I'm sure I'm going to read this. You're going to go, what the heck is he talking about? Daniel 9.1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books, he's reading Jeremiah, the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. What? Exactly. I don't have a clue. Let's move on. No. What Daniel, remember Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You've all heard the story of them being thrown, Shadrach, Meshach, thrown in the fiery furnace. You heard of Daniel. Daniel fast. Daniel fast. We do Daniel fast. That Daniel. All right? So what is Daniel doing? Daniel has been in captivity in Babylon. The Jews, Israel, did bad, 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 bad stuff. And God would send his prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Actually, God would send Isaiah. Come on, guys. Turn it around. God will bless you. Come on. Come on. Do the right thing. God will bless you. Jeremiah. God ate you all. You got to burn. You got to burn. I'm going to kill you. And he'd rip his clothes off and walk around naked. Look at me. This is all. Just crazy stuff. That's Bible stuff. Like I said, if people read the Bible, they'd be going, this stuff is crazy. And Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. I mean, if you read some of the stuff he would do, I mean, crazy, crazy, crazy. But he's trying to get to Israel. He's trying to get to the Jews. He's trying to get them to see, you guys are bad. You've been, your, your actions are bad. You're evil, and you've got to quit doing this. Which, by the way, also is a reference to how God speaks in certain time periods. It's called dispensations or time periods of how God relates to people. There was, there's actually seven. We're in the church age. God relates to us the way the church age is. Not like the law, which was before the church age. There's innocence. We see God. How is he reacting to Adam? He walked face to face with him. Until sin came. And then what happened? And so you've got the different dispensations that take place. And in those dispensations, God specifically dealt with the people in a certain way. 
dispensational promise was with Abraham. Abram. And what was God talking to Abraham and just communicating? Just to Abraham. No one else. There's no Jews. There's no Israel. There's nothing. There's just him and Abraham. And that's how God's dealing with people at that time. And then it moves into uh, uh, human governments. I mean, human governments is, is right before the, 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 um, the flood. And they're just, it's just a picture of how God deals with the, the human race at that period. We're in the church age period, and the last one will be the millennium, the thousand-year reign. And God will deal with this in a way different way because it'll be like the first one. He'll be with us, which is going to be really powerful. But what you have to do is you have to recognize there's different ways that God operated. In the area of law is nowhere near the area of grace in the new covenant. But like I said, there are people, there are many, many people, many, many groups out there, denominations that you can tell when they're more leaning toward a, a, a real weak, sloppy grace. And they usually quote and preach a ton out of the Old Testament. Mainly everything they do is going to be tied in Old Testament, psalms and pictures and types, but not manipulate, not used the way Scripture said it would be used, but to manipulate it in the area of legalism, law. That's why I'm trying to help people get free, because what happens is this is, when is the Scripture made to put fear or scare people? It isn't. And if you're using it as a weapon that way, you don't know what you're doing. You're wrong. Just be free from those wrong ideologies from it. Like I said, let God do God thing, and we do our thing. Amen? Best way to be. So this is Daniel's in this captivity. He's studying. Daniel's cool, man. And by the way, he's like, he's owning Babylon. Ever noticed how you look through history and even the scripture, it doesn't matter if they're captive or whatever. Jews are always going to rise themselves to the top. It is the most amazing thing. You look at Hollywood, Jews. Most banks are run by Jews. Nations, Jews. I mean, leadership, Jews. It's, it's crazy. Why would that be that way? And why would people, so many people hate them? I, I just never have seen in li our lifetime or even in history of the Jewish nation, except through Daniel times, I mean, David times, stuff like that, where Israel's just going out to war with everybody. It doesn't happen. So why all of a sudden, why wouldn't we just hate the other countries that are doing that, where the terrorists are being trained? and all? Why don't we hate them? But it's crazy. It, it's evil hates the Jews. Well, that in itself should tell you something. That's not normal. That's right. It isn't. And when you see the stuff that's not normal, that should speak volumes to you. So Daniel's been looking at the scriptures going, wait a minute. We're only supposed to be captive seven years. Seven years. We're at the 70th year. Daniel's like going, oh my gosh. He believes God. He loves God. So he's like going, Oh, God, forgive us. I mean, forgive Israel. And, and he starts praying and saying, forgive me, forgive Israel. Oh, man, this is the seventh year. I want, I want to get out of here. 
And he goes, what do I need to do? What do we do? What's going to happen? He starts talking to God. The Bible says instantly God answered his prayer. Oh my gosh, it's so awesome. And he sends Gabriel down to him to show him what? Little Daniels going, I want to know. And God's up there going, I'm God. You don't need to know. Just live it. Hope it works out. No, God wants us to know. He wants us to know. He wants us to know. Parents, don't you want your children to know information? Of course you do. Of course you do. So Daniel's going, oh, man, 70 years is almost up. So he intercedes. He starts praying. And look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 20. I'm going to read the Message Bible because it just, it just looks so good and flowed so good. While I was pouring out my heart, bearing my sins and the sins of my people, Israel, praying my life out before my God, interceding for the holy mountain of my God, while I was absorbed in this prayer, a human like Gabriel, the one I had seen in an earlier vision, approached me, flying in like a bird about the time of evening worship. He stood before me and said, Daniel, I have come to make things plain to you. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to dumb it down, Gabriel said. You had no sooner started your prayer when the answer was given. Can you, isn't this beautiful? Daniel goes, Lord, and God's answering. Oh, yeah. How awesome. You are so loved. Listen carefully to the answer, the plain meaning of what is revealed. And this is it. You guys ready? Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seventy weeks and sixty-two weeks." The street shall be built again, the wall, even the trouble sometimes. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people, the prince who is to come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with the flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, I mean, are you kidding me? All Daniel said is, what's happening when we get out? No, that's how God's going. Daniel's like going, all right, when we get out, what are we supposed to do? And God literally lays out the whole picture to the end, to Daniel. Can you think this through? Look at Daniel. He's right. Let's see. What, where, what are we going to do when we get out of this place and... Um, uh, around Jerusalem. You know, I just like to know what neighborhood I'm going to live in. Give me some, what, what, what do I need to know? And he gives them the whole picture of the last days, the whole picture of this prophecy that includes Jesus, Jesus going to the cross, after the cross, the tribulation period. Can you, Daniel doesn't have a clue what's going on. He's writing this stuff down. But he doesn't have a clue. Isn't that interesting? He's just writing information down. Now, understand this. This is information that's in the book of Daniel. 
And the Jews with the scrolls understand this. That's why they're looking for the Messiah. They know how to count. They are great, perfect record keepers. So in the time of Jesus and disciples, they already knew that Messiah, we're at that time period. We're at the time period where Messiah is here. Messiah is coming. And so their understanding based upon this truth, which is the right way to be. You need to know this. You need to understand this. But let's go through this because it's so important. Let me break it down for you. Daniel 9, verse 24 again. You guys ready? 70 weeks. Now, the Hebrew word is Shabuah. And that literally means 77-year periods. 77-year periods. A week, a day actually is a day is a one year. A week is seven years. All right? So he says 70 sevens or 70 segments of seven would be 70 times seven is what? 490. I'm in love life. I know it's going to take a little while. <laughs> 70 sevens are determined. The word determined is shathak. It's cut out, cut out of time. This is established. God's saying 490 years are established. He's talking to Daniel, okay? 400 and what? 490 years? 77s are determined for your people and for your holy city. Watch. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Okay? That is the second coming. All right? Now, this has been 490 years to this point. What he's talking about now is 490 years. So 490 years from David to Bab, I mean, from David to captivity has been 490 years. Now, he's prophesying to Daniel 490 years after. It's so interesting. We're going to see why, why this is all happening. And this is the key of why there's a rapture. But why is this happening? Why are they in captivity? For 70 years. God said 70 years. Why 70 years? That's the key. Why were they in captivity for 70 years? Why not 50 not 100. Why 70? That's what we have to do. We have to look at Scripture. Scripture answers all the questions. All right? So it says, we got 490 years after Babylon captivity, he lays it out. They disobeyed God. All right? David was like the prime position of Israel. I mean, they're living in the golden age. Solomon comes in, and for his beginning years, it was all good. But y'all know he had a little issue with women. You know, like hundreds, thousands. I don't even try to figure out. When you get to heaven, I don't even think you don't even want to talk to him about it. He's probably like going, I don't remember. <laughs> don't bring up that crazy time. But from that point, Israel started going downhill. The key of their downfall was something that you would look at and say, what's the big deal? And what happened is, is in Leviticus, God said this. 
You will plant and sow. You will, you will, you will do all your planting. Everything for the nation will go forth for six years, but on the seventh year, you have to let the land rest. Let the land rest. I'll provide for you. You'll have more than enough. But every seventh year, you must let the land rest. Okay? And Israel thought, man, we're prospering. Let's just skip this one. And they'd start up again. And then it'd come again. They'd say, oh, man, we skipped this one. Each time they disobeyed God on the sabbatical year, the seventh year of rest, they get closer to doing evil. And the scripture says, ultimately, Israel got into a position of pure idol worship. Now, you might be thinking, what's the big deal? Well, their idol worship with Baal was so perverted. And you can read the scriptures and see all this stuff, but it was, it was disgusting. People of God got to a place to where they literally, the, the sad thing about the picture of idol worship in scripture and turning against God always involved the most disgusting acts that human beings could do with one another. Orgies and just, I mean, pure, gross things. Now you're thinking, Sexual acts, but no, it, it went into idol worship to where they would, they would literally burn and kill their kids in the midst of an orgy. And literally the screams of the dying kids and the screams of the orgy would drown, each, drown out each other. Yeah, this stuff's in there. They got that disgusting. And they continued that way for 490 years. Now think about that. For 490 years, they were that way, not giving the Sabbath to God and becoming just people of idolatry. And this is all in Scripture. So God says this, because you not give me my Sabbath, that I said, this is the reason, this, you stop doing this, you're going to have to pay for the missed Sabbath. And 490, you divide that by seven, is 70. So he said, to make a payment, you're going to let the land, rest, the land rest for 70 years. So they're in captivity while the land rested. And history, even history shows us that while Israel was in captivity, nothing was happening in Israel, in Jerusalem. There was nothing, no success, nothing taking place. The land was resting. The only time it got successful is when Israel moved back into it. So this is a massive downfall of Israel. And now here they are in a place where Daniel's like going, We're, it's up, it's almost up. And then God says, okay, what do you want to know? He says, I want to know this. And God just shows out the next 490 years, which is pretty powerful. But it ties into everything that we need to understand. So here we have the captivity, the law of God. If you want to look up the law, it's Leviticus 25.1, where God talks about sabbatical. Uh, you look at 2 Chronicles 36.18, 2 Chronicles 36.18, that talks about what God says that you have to make payment for the 70 years because you didn't let the land rest. Okay, so that's there. Y'all got that? Okay, so those two scriptures for the land rest. The land rests, and now we have 
the new period, okay? 70 weeks or seven years, seven sevens is 490 years are determined for your people, the Jews, and for the holy city, Jerusalem. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in the everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint and cleanse the most holy. It's been over 490 years. Now, therefore, do you understand that it's already been over 490 years? Just so you got that. From what he's saying right now, 490 years have gone and passed. If we're looking at the timetable, it's already happened. So something is not right here. Something, something's missing out of the equation. Because if that, And this is what Israel had a problem with. 490 years, it, it's already, we're, there's a Messiah, it's done. But see, this is what we have to look at is, is why, why is it continuing? What's a continuation? Remember, the church age isn't talked about in this except for a time period. And then something's going to happen in this time period. It doesn't mention church. It mentions him being cut off. Now watch this. This is really interesting. Now, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, that happened, all right? So Cyrus of Babylon calls forth and says, go and build Jerusalem, all right? He says it to Nehemiah, Ezra. They're a part of this. He says, go and restore Jerusalem. It's in the 70 years. This is, it has to happen. This is God's word. So now that king says, go. Nehemiah goes to the king and says, please let me build. And the king goes, get favors on his life. He goes, yeah, go ahead and do it. Is this awesome? All right, so now that's the beginning. So they start rebuilding. No understand that the going forth the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, until Messiah the Prince. So what we're having, actually, there's two segments of time frame here. Two segments. Look what happens. There shall be seven weeks, seven segments of seven, and 62 weeks, 62 sevens. Got that? Seven. There shall be seven Sevens, seven segments of seven equals 49. Write that down. And 62 weeks. 62 sevens. 62 times seven, 434. Of course, right? I have it written down. I look, it sounds smart. Seven segments of seven, 49 years. 62 weeks, 434 years. That is at the building of the city to Messiah. That? So we've got a picture. We've got a picture of what? We've got a picture of first time period, second time period. The street shall be built again, and the wall even the troublous time. After the 62 weeks, after the 62 weeks, that's the second period, 62 times 7, 434. After 434 years, Messiah shall be cut off. Do you know that exactly from the point of the temple being rebuilt and Jesus going to the cross is exactly 434 years? Exactly. Boom, boom, 434 years. It is so amazing. 
Exactly. This prophecy in Scripture, and it is already proven that the Jews were exact in their calculating and in their time, to where historically, you can pick this up, this stuff's here, proving this point to this point. 434 years, Messiah is cut off. That's the second time period. To the cross, exactly 434 years, but not for himself. He is cut off, but not for himself, for us. Now remember, this is a prophecy to Daniel. He didn't know anything about church. He didn't know anything about anything other than God's giving him this beautiful picture. And he talks to him through Daniel on end times, by the way, in different areas. We'll get to all that stuff later. But anyway, here we're seeing that Jesus' death is at 434, but not for himself. It was for us. From the time to command to build Jesus, from the time to command to build the temple to the cross is 483 years. Do your math. 49 plus 434 is what? It's what? Or what? 483. Uh, didn't we just say that God has proclaimed 490? Something's missing. 483 subtract 490 is what? Right. A week, seven years. What happened? God said, this has to take place 490 years. We get, through calculation, the word, history, showing us that we're missing a week. That's what you have to understand. But what week is this about? It's about the Jewish time period. Seven years of Jewish time is missing from this calculation. Nothing in the Old Testament talks about the church. It's a mystery. What I need you to look at is a picture of a time clock in the kingdom of God. And this time clock is establishing everything about Israel and its history. And it's all about Israel. And it's clicking away. Year after year after year. And it continues. It just goes on. Click, 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 click. And God's prophecies are being fulfilled. Jesus comes to this earth. Jesus walks on this earth. Jesus goes to the cross. And it's clicking, clicking. And it's showing. It's going 479, 480, 481, 482, 483. Goes to the cross. And all of a sudden the clock goes and stops. Something miraculous happens. The church shows up. Now, the church is not Israel. We're not Old Testament. Time has stopped for the Gentiles. For God so loved the world. Before that clock stopped, it was all about the Jews. Nan, 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 nan. It was. Remember Jesus, the lady goes, well, can I feed the scraps? He goes, no, it's for the Jews. 
they started the ministry off. It was all about the Jews until Paul. And Peter had to be shown pork chops and bacon. He did. He was like, going, I ain't, I ain't touching that stuff. Oh my gosh, it smells so good. I ain't touching it, God. I never let it touch my mouth. Don't ask me if I smelled it because, oh my God. And God said, no, eat, eat, eat. Why? He was saying, it's time for the Gentiles. It's time for the world to get saved. So the, the clock stopped. The church age is now going forth, but that seven-year period has to take place. Has to. Has to happen. But guess what? It's Jewish time, and I don't have more time. I'm out of time. But I can tell you right now, part two is going to be mega awesome, and part three even gets greater now. All I want you to know is, is listen, it's a beautiful picture. You're involved in it, but ultimately, God's got to fulfill what he said he's going to fulfill. Let's understand that. You are here for a purpose. You're in this time period. Don't have fear. Don't have worry. And what I want you to not to do is don't quit living. Keep believing. Keep, keep expecting. Keep looking forward to better and bigger. And, and, and lay down what I want to become and what I want to do. That's what you're supposed to do. Otherwise, you're going to be like the Thessalonian church and be all messed up. And Paul ain't writing letters to you. He's up in heaven. So you need to get going with life. And when things happen, they happen. It doesn't matter. You can't get stuck in things that don't matter today. All you need to know is, is what comforts me is when it happens, boom, I'm out of here. That's all. That comforts me to know that. To know that I'm not set for, for all this evil, set for all this, 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 this judgment, that's not the church. The church was judged on the cross. The body of Christ, the blood of Jesus judged me. And all the sin nature is gone. Not perfect, but I have no sin nature. And that's because of the blood of Jesus. That's what you need to understand. It's a beautiful picture. And like I said, you don't want to miss part two. Love you guys. Be blessed. And see ya in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. To hear more encouraging messages just like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. If you loved what you received, please consider rating it and sharing it with your friends and family. For more information about Love Life and getting connected with us, go to lovelife.church. We love you and are believing God's best for you.